You're listening to The Spiritual Awakening Show. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and this is part 19 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. With me today is Christian Kuntz. He's got 13 years of experience with Kundalini, a really fascinating, mystical, auspicious story, and lots of wisdom to share with us all. Before we get into our conversation, I just want to remind you to check out the other parts of this series if you haven't already. I've got some fundamental principles and practices to support you on your Kundalini Awakening journey. As well, you can check out my YouTube channel called Brent Spirit to find the video version of this conversation today with Christian and many others. If you find this work meaningful and would like to support me, you can share it with a friend, you can leave a rating, you can hit follow, and if you feel called, you can also offer a donation. You can connect with me over email and you can find out more at brentspirit.com. I appreciate all of your ongoing support. Now, let's dive right into this conversation with Christian Kuntz. Enjoy. Hey, Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited. Hope your day is going well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Hi, Brent. Really excited to join your uh, little show here. Um, Mm. I've been looking forward to it for quite a while now after I saw some of your videos. So um, really excited. Great. Thank you so much. So Christian's been experiencing Kundalini process for 12, 13 years now. And in listening to some of the talks on his YouTube channel and in our conversations over email, I can tell he's very articulate. He's very experienced, very wise, and there's a lot to unpack here. And I really want to prompt you today to to give us some of your your experience some of that wisdom not only for myself but for everyone out there that's listening that's going through this process um you know it's a challenging process it's difficult to navigate and so that's why i've had i want to have people on the show just like you to support it support us share the journey let people know they're not going crazy and to speak about this process from a universal perspective not just from the perspective of India, not just from the perspective of this yogic phenomena known as Kundalini, but rather a more universal process known as the transformation of consciousness that is driven by the divine feminine, the divine mother. And Christian, from what I've heard about his story, has a very deep devotion and intimate relationship with the divine mother. And we're going to unpack that today. He's going to talk a little bit about his journey, his unfolding. He's had some very interesting experiences with near near death experiences. Hope we can, you know, dive into that a little bit, as well as some some very interesting experiences with direct encounters with this force that we would call the Divine Mother, mystical encounters. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about some of the more intricate details on the Kundalini path. We'll unpack a little bit about your experience of meditation how the journey has unfolded for you over the course of over a decade. Talk a little bit about things like Kriyas, uh, different phenomena. And lastly, hopefully we'll give you some, give you a chance to offer some tips and guidance to those out there navigating this path, especially at the earlier stages. So with all that said, welcome Christian. Thank you so much for joining and being willing to share openly. Why don't you take it away? Let us know a little bit about how this all began for you. You can start as as early as you'd like. Let us know 
what brought you to the Kundalini process and how has it unfolded for you, bringing you up to where you are today? Okay. So once again, thanks for having me on. Um, really uh, nice to have this opportunity to talk about these uh, topics that we both uh, really enjoy and uh, love. Um, so I actually, um, I probably started my spiritual journey from uh, early childhood. I was one of those kids that um, was able to uh, just uh, be absorbed in play and uh, just concentrate on uh, uh, one thing without noticing the outside world, just having this uh, single-mindedness. So even as a child, I was quite uh, meditative. For instance, my uh, mother, um, she could sleep in until 10 a.m., no issues, because uh, I was just playing around in my cot and, you know, um, I was I was perfectly content to be by myself, to be alone, and to and to be absorbed in my uh, activities. And then, uh, when I was seven years old, my uh, family moved to India. Uh, I'm actually from Hungary originally, and uh, so we lived there for about two years. Um, in the south of India, near Chennai. And um, after that, uh, we moved back to Hungary. But um, I was definitely influenced by uh, the culture of India and uh, different yogic um, traditions and uh, things like that. So I was uh, exposed to it from an, from an early age. And so I uh, had an interest in uh, anything connected to Hinduism and uh, just Indian culture in general. So I started reading uh, about it from that age and uh, trying to learn about it as much as possible. And of course, when we moved back um, from India, we took uh, different artifacts with us, you know, statues, uh, Lord Shiva, um, uh, Parvati, that kind of thing. And uh, so actually all these uh, Hindu gods and goddesses, they were, they were displayed in our house prominently, which I didn't uh, think at the time was that um, relevant or important. But, uh, you know, in, in, in hindsight, I'm quite sure that this uh, played a part in my uh, spiritual development. Um, and actually... Uh, I started meditating when I was 13, so I developed an interest in that. And from that age, uh, I read quite a lot of different uh, spiritual topics. I did a bit of uh, Asha Yoga and Pranayama when I was in uh, high school. And then later when I was in college, I, I practiced a bit of uh, Tai Chi and Kung Fu. Um, I wouldn't say that I became uh, proficient in uh, any of them, but uh, I just learned the basics so I could develop my own practice in terms of meditation and breath work and energy work and that kind of thing. Um, so I basically just did my own thing. And uh, my Kundalini awakening uh, started when I was uh, living in London. Uh, this was probably around 2010. 
or theropods. And uh, before that, I wasn't very spiritual for a while. So um, I was a bit of an atheist, actually. I didn't really believe in God or uh, um, I was quite seduced, so to speak, by people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. So I uh, I was quite an atheist, actually, but I still believed in the uh, spiritual dimension of life. And uh, I felt this uh, hole in my heart. So uh, I knew there was something else out there. Um, I could feel an emptiness right here in the middle of my chest, you know, where the energetic heart is located. And uh, there was this longing uh, that I felt for something higher, for something more. And um, so I started meditating more seriously again, doing a daily practice. Uh, I, I often went to the gardens of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. So it was uh, it was near my office. And uh, I sat on a bench there, or I went to the uh, banks of River Thames, and I, and I meditated. And I just felt there was this really strong uh, energy that came from, from that area, which, uh, as it turns out, is, is really very important in terms of the planet's energetic grid. So St. Paul's Cathedral and uh, the city of London as well is actually one of these uh, very important uh, energetic uh, choke points, you could say. So it's like a nervous system center for the for the planet's energetic grid, which you can actually read about in different books. And, you know, there are many people who uh, research this. So as I was meditating, uh, usually in, in the Garden of St. Paul's Cathedral, I felt this uh, energy, this heat and pressure developing at the base of my spine. And uh, it started rising in a very pleasant manner. So, so every time I was actually meditating, um, there was this... Um, subtle force that moved upwards, maybe in a spiraling fashion a little bit. But also, uh, it felt like there was some sort of creature inside me, like maybe a little snake, you could say, or a worm, that was uh, sort of bumping its head against different obstacles and burrowing its way upwards like this, uh, along the spine. And so, um, over a couple of years, uh, the energy just moved upwards every time I was actually meditating. And um, it went all the way up to the heart chakra. And um, that's when it actually got stuck a little bit. So this is um, this is known as a partial rising in the Kundalini lit uh, literature, which is very common. So a lot of people who start uh, experiencing Kundalini, they never actually get past the heart chakra. That's the, it's probably the toughest one to, to move past. And um, I didn't understand it at the time. I, I didn't know why I was experiencing these issues because um, there was this really tough, like almost uh, solid rock-like 
structure that was built into my heart. And uh, so this energy was trying to break through it. And I could feel the pulsating uh, sensation and this like uh, sort of uh, pressure, constriction, that uh, the energy wasn't able to move past. And so I just felt this, uh, this bang, 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 like something was hitting a rock in my heart. And um, so at the time, I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, now I know that this was actually a lot to do with my, uh, with my atheist beliefs, which sounds a bit uh, strange, I know, because, uh, of course, atheists always say, that uh, atheism is a lack of belief, you know, it's about uh, science and rationality and uh, blah, blah, blah. But at least in my case, it was really a sort of uh, ersatz uh, faith or religion or way of, 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 of viewing the world like a philosophy. Uh, I would call it scientism, actually. So the idea that science is the answer to everything and uh, it has it has all the answers to the great uh, mysteries of life and all that. Um, so I couldn't mentally accept uh, that I had to that I had to surrender myself to a God figure, especially the Christian one, because uh, I was brought up as a as a Roman Catholic. Uh, even in India, actually, I went to a Roman Catholic school, so that was. Uh, St. Paul's matriculation, higher and secondary school in Navali. So <laughs> it was a very Catholic uh, surrounding, basically. So I was supposed to fit right in, but uh, I was never particularly um, of the faith, to be honest. But um, uh, a kind of interesting side thing started happening around this time, is that uh, me and my friend were really very interested in uh, going to museums, which uh, London has uh, plenty of, and uh, we especially spent a lot of time in the in the British Museum. And I would sometimes go there alone and uh, just uh, spend time meditating in a quiet corner and uh, going to the bookstore, looking up different uh, books on, on artifacts I was, I was looking at and ancient civilizations. So when I first uh, entered the British Museum, and uh, I saw the uh, Assyrian and uh, Akkadian exhibit, which which are from the cities of uh, Ur and Iraq in uh, today's Iraq. And this had such a profound effect on me, uh, even though it has a lot of other uh, very impressive exhibits, like uh, the Greek and Roman ones and uh, uh, there's even a decent Hindu exhibit there and a Buddhist one. So you can find everything, but it just had this strong pull on me uh, that I couldn't explain. So I started re researching and uh, delving into the whole thing. And uh, um, I didn't know it at the time, but, um, you know, in, 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 in polytheism in, in general, and especially in Hinduism, just the last real polytheistic uh, faith. Um, the um, 
the role of a consecrated artifact, of a statue or something like that, is to act as a portal. So it connects you to a deity, basically. So what I what I didn't realize is that by um, meditating on and researching and concentrating on these artifacts, I was actually connecting to these ancient deities uh, that were worshipped in Sumer and then later in uh, Mesopotamia and also all over the ancient world, basically. So if you if you do the research, you can really see that a lot of uh, deities that are even worshipped today have their roots in uh, ancient Sumerian ones. <clears throat> and uh, I was quite desperate uh, by this time because uh, um, the energy was stuck. I had uh, uh, pain in my chest. I even had a panic attack once. And uh, um, I had difficulty operating in normal everyday life. So my movement slowed down. I had uh, nervous issues, you know, uh, I couldn't really, I couldn't really command my body to move the way I wanted it to. So for instance, it took me a lot longer to, to get to the shops. I had to, I had to command my, uh, my limbs to move. Like every single step, every single move had to be made uh, consciously. So I had a lot of difficulty and I felt that uh, I was unable to, to progress from, from this uh, moment. So that's when I felt I had nothing to lose and I felt a connection to these uh, Mesopotamian deities. And so I prayed one day when I was uh, actually walking near St. Paul's Cathedral, you know, just uh, heading towards my usual meditation spot. And uh, so I asked for help. I asked for a mentor or some sort of uh, protector deity, someone, someone who could help me. And it felt as if the sky opened up. So I looked towards the steeple of St. Paul's Cathedral. And... Uh, it's, it was like one of those paintings, you know, when you see there's like uh, some sort of light coming out of it and there is a, there's an opening in the sky. And uh, I felt this energy uh, come down from above and it entered the ground chakra or, or more precisely the Brahmarendra region, which is the bulb of the, of the skull. And so this energy, which was uh, basically a sort of light, almost like a lightning strike, it came down and uh, it went through my whole spine and uh, it energized the spine and the uh, the muladhara, the the base of the of the spine. And so I could feel that uh, I was sort of blessed or given divine grace and that something something great would happen. And so the next day, uh, when I was washing up in my kitchen, uh, I felt a presence enter the room. And uh, at first I thought there was, there was like a second son that uh, 
that was next to me. So I thought, um, you know, the window is supposed to be that way. How come there is there is like a sun behind me? Like, uh, how did it get there? What was that? And I felt this presence. Um, um, it's just very hard to describe, but um, it was very loving and uh, definitely feminine. So I could feel a female presence that just entered the, entered the room and it was um, radiating love and compassion and uh, um, just um, incredible light. So uh, it really felt like, like the rays of the sun were touching me, but it was uh, much more... Um, yeah, it was much more feminine, first of all, because because the sun is a bit is a bit masculine, and uh, the light itself was uh, completely white, and uh, just very benevolent and loving. And so I felt that something was caressing me, and there was this presence, this this intelligence that uh, appeared in the room, and I could see light everywhere. So. The whole room was basically uh, covered in light. Although this, uh, I suspect, wasn't a physical uh, thing. So I think if you if you put a camera into the room and try to record it, you probably wouldn't see much, or maybe you would need some very uh, specific, like uh, light measuring equipment to to see any sort of difference. So it's not something that you that you see with the naked eye. It's more of a, something that you sense with your inner senses, with your with your higher senses. Um, and uh, I don't know if you'd if you'd like me to continue along this line, or do you have any questions at this uh, point? I'm, I'm really immersed in your story. It's fantastic. Uh, I can ask one question here. So when you said that you prayed right you didn't mention specifically i have an idea but just to clarify you didn't mention to whom you were praying to um i didn't say a name at the time but i had an image of a of a mesopotamian god in mind who was displayed in the in the british museum as a famous relief and uh, that was the god enki and is that a masculine god or feminine god masculine god yes. masculine god Okay, the reason I'm asking, <clears throat> excuse me, and firstly, just to clarify, you know, we're speaking, your, your story covers quite a broad range of, of spiritual figures and, you know, and uh, traditions. So that's one reason. But the other reason as well was, maybe you can touch upon this, personally, in my experience and sort of discussions with other people and research, I have found that more masculine awakenings, you could say, tend to be top-down awakenings, energy entering in from the crown downwards. And awakenings that have more to do with the feminine in particular seem to be a sort of rising from the root upwards. So in Christianity, which is a very masculine tradition, sometimes we hear of people saying, the Holy Spirit descended upon me the holy spirit entered me i felt it enter the top of my head and filled my whole body we don't really hear people speaking of the holy spirit rose from the base of my spine um 
another gentleman that I was speaking with on a previous interview, Gordon, Gordon Curtis, he mentioned a very similar experience to what you're saying, where he said, God, enter me. It was a sort of spontaneous prayer. And in that moment, he felt a similar sort of top-down inflow of energy. So do you have anything to comment about this distinction between the masculine coming as a top-down crown, down awakening, compared to the more feminine experience of root up? And just as another point here, considering what you're sharing, and this is what I've seen across the board, awakenings happen up and down all over. It's not like one person is going to have just one type of awakening. You have a top-down experience, you'll have a bottom-up experience, same way you're describing. You felt that energy rising from your root, trying to make its way through the heart, then something entered from your crown downwards. So can you comment a little bit about this masculine, feminine, top-down, root-up sort of theme? Yes, uh, I think uh, both are actually necessary. So um, uh, the top-down thing is divine grace. So in uh, Hinduism, that would be known as the grace of Shiva. And uh, obviously in Christianity, that would be the grace of God, the grace of Yahweh, who is the, uh, more or less the Christian version of uh, Rudra, maybe, or Indra, depending on the source, but uh, the god of thunder, you know, <laughs> the god of the storm, basically. Um, and in the case of uh, Mesopotamia, that god would actually be Enlil. He's the god of the storm, so he would be the equivalent deity, but um, Enki is more of a, a eclectic uh, God is not is uh, not the chief God of the of the pantheon, but uh, maybe second in line, something like that. But there's definitely this difference between between the masculine and the feminine in the way it causes uh, an awakening in different people, and I think uh, both are necessary. So. Uh, Obviously, when um, energy is moving up, that comes from the Earth, which is Mother Earth. And uh, when energy comes down from heaven or the sky, if you want to put it that way, that comes from the Sky Father, as is usually referred to in mythology. So it's usually associated with lightning. That's why you have this sensation as if as, as if you are struck by lightning from above or that the heavens are opening up and there is some sort of light or energy coming down, which you see a lot in Christian art, for instance. Uh, so that's a very common thing. And uh, that's why I think as well um, Kundalini is uh, associated with, uh, with lightning very often. So uh, that's the sensation of... Uh, lightning strike coming down and in my case you know i had both uh, so first it was a feminine rising and uh, when it got stuck at the heart and i had this um, i guess i had this hang up that i couldn't really process uh, the idea of a heavenly father uh, because of my of my atheism 
I had I had very strong misgivings about any sort of uh, patriarchal uh, father figure, you know, up in the sky and whatever. And I think that was my hang up. So when I so when I let go of that and uh, I prayed to whatever our Father in Heaven, it doesn't matter which uh, which culture you uh, use to connect to this. Uh, source to this uh, to this particular uh, form of energy uh, I guess uh, Hindus would would usually prefer uh, Shiva uh, but I don't really see the difference personally so I think it's uh, really just um, the divine masculine and the divine feminine and that's the interplay between these two. And you can give it different names and different faces, and uh, you can call it whatever you want. But uh, essentially, between different cultures, we are talking about the same thing. So I think all mystical traditions, they work to some extent with this kind of uh, duality, this uh, dichotomy. And uh, within... Uh, Christianity, for instance, uh, you have, of course, the Heavenly Father and all that, and uh, the outflowing of the of the Heavenly Father is the Shekinah, uh, which Christians call the Holy Spirit, and it's roughly the equivalent of Shakti in uh, Hinduism. So I think it's the same kind of interplay which you can also see in Kabbalah, for instance, which works with a uh, uh, bottom-up uh, kind of uh, structure. So I don't know if you've ever seen the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Yes. Which, uh, yeah, which actually comes from Sumer. So one of these um, images that I that I used to look at in the in the museum, it actually has a Tree of Life. And uh, there's this uh, winged god figure that holds a pine cone in his hand. And it's actually uh, anointing a person with uh, holy water. So he's uh, taking the pine cone, uh, putting it into like a bucket of water and sprinkling water over this person who is standing next to the tree of life. So it's uh, the pine cone is of course the pineal gland, uh, which is the third eye, the Ajna chakra, um, and the water, the water of life, which is also important in uh, Christianity, of course. That is, I believe, symbolic of uh, Amrita or Soma. So it's this sort of uh, anointing with this higher substance that comes from heaven. Um, and uh, this is an important ritual in different cultures. But I think when uh, when we are touched by um, the divine, this is basically what 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 happens is that uh, we are anointed to to be able to receive the divine and to be able to move up uh, to become more than what we are. So this is part of it, I think. Right. So we can see that 
this process, what we call Kundalini process, you could also call it the transformation of consciousness, the awakening journey, the evolutionary journey. Oftentimes we, we see depictions of Kundalini as just being merely arising from the root upwards, but in reality it's it's multi-directional, top down, bottom up. So there's many out there who have an experience like what you mentioned at, at St. Paul's Cathedral, top down, and think, oh, that's, I don't know what this is. It's a kundalini, and then they look up something about kundalini, and they say, oh, no, it couldn't have been that. It, it didn't happen from my root up. Well, this is all, call it what you want. This is all the evolution of consciousness, the transformation of consciousness occurring within your entire system. And it only makes sense that it wouldn't just be one direction. You know, God is everywhere. God is moving in all directions. So naturally yes. we can see. Yeah, go ahead. Um, maybe I should finish my story because yeah. uh, um, then uh, I think it's important to, to uh, look at the whole process, uh, how it actually occurred. Because, uh, of course, first I had the bottom-up thing then the top-down uh, divine grace, the lightning strike. But then when the when the goddess actually uh, showed up, uh, showed her presence in front of me, then she gave me Shaktipat. And I believe this is actually called Mahashaktipat. Mm -hmm. And that's just the Hindu word for it, you know. You could, you could say it's a blessing or... Uh, form of feminine divine grace, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but in my case, what this actually meant is that the goddess, she uh, touched me from behind. So um, if you look at uh, depictions of, of this particular goddess uh, in Anna Ishtar, she's, she's usually shown as an eight-pointed star, which is... Uh, it's the planet Venus as well. Uh, so her equivalent in, in Rome was the planet Venus. So, and, uh, and in Greece, it was Aphrodite, actually. But um, this eight-pointed star is an important uh, symbol because it shows that this is actually how the ancients uh, saw the gods when they appeared to them. So they saw them as uh, stars, basically, like... Uh, sons and i think they must have assumed that uh every time a being of light like this showed up it must have come from the sky and uh, that it left its place in the sky to come down and then when it was finished doing whatever it was doing it it, it went back up and i think that's why the ancients believed you know in in heaven being the sky and uh the sky god and uh, different planets being uh, called, you know, like different gods' names, you know. So they worship the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars. And I think it was because of this uh, experience. But when you see a being of light like that, um, it's really, it's it's, it's really like uh, like uh, like a star or a sun has come down to you. So it's just this. Uh, body of light, which has uh, rays coming out of it. But they're not uh, ordinary rays, but something that it could actually touch you with. 
So they're like uh, extensions of this uh, body of light. So this kind of light being, uh, it floats around and uh, it doesn't have uh, a particular size or anything like that. All you can see is basically just light. And uh, it can touch you in very subtle ways. So when someone like that touches you, um, it feels like the touch of a, of a of a real person, like there was a, there was somebody with a hand. Obviously, you can't see that because you only see like blinding light, but you feel the touch. So this is what happened to me as well. Uh, so this being of light, as I later found out, her name was uh, Inanna, which she told me in a couple of dreams afterwards. So I had these lucid dreams, which. Uh, which helped me uh, identify her and uh, just uh, learn uh, as much about her as I could. And so she touched me and uh, she gave me Shaktipat uh, at the heart level. And there was basically so much energy uh, flowing into me that it broke this obstacle, this rock in my heart. And... Uh, I felt energy flowing in all of my nadis. So all these thousands of, of nadis all over my body, they got energized. Um, and this energy, it felt like uh, liquid light. So it was hot and uh, uh, shining, but very, very pleasant as well. Um, and it uh, basically moved through all over my body and... Uh, it cleared every blockage, you know. I could I could feel things breaking. Like uh, I believe it was actually karma being washed away and burnt. So all, all this past karma, my hangups, even my uh, ties, my past ties, they got burned up. Um, which I believe is a way of. Uh, uh, this is how the goddess removes your uh, gunas. So as you know, gunas, they are, they are a Sanskrit term for ropes, ties that, that bind you to the material world. And I believe these were actually also, also removed and uh, all the different blocks and everything. Um, so as my, as my uh, body was cleared out, I just felt this urge to meditate um, lying down. So I went into my room uh, from the kitchen. I lied down and I felt my Kundalini start to rise immediately. And uh, in just a couple of minutes, it uh, got to my heart, moved past without any issue. It went to my throat and then my Ajna Chakra, the third eye, and it got up all the way to the top, uh, to the bulb of my skull here towards the back. And then I felt this uh, uh, sensation again that it, it couldn't uh, move past the final block, the final knot as it's called. I think this is actually called uh, Rudra Granta, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, and um, so it's just, just below the crown chakra. 
And so again, I had this sensation of uh, like this fiery snake bumping against my uh, skull from the inside, but it couldn't break through. So then as I was experiencing this, uh, the being of light uh, floated into the room from the kitchen. And this time, yes, I actually could take a better look at her from from this angle. Um, I experienced her more like a body of light. So there wasn't any particular uh, shape or form, but she was maybe the size of a human, I would say, quite quite close to that. And she was floating about a meter uh, from the floor. And so she came in, and of course I knew that she was there to help me. She was uh, just uh, communicating with me through intention and... Uh, sending me thoughts and uh, sometimes images, you know, so basically telepathy. Sometimes I would have uh, words flashing in my mind's eye. So I would uh, literally see a word uh, against a black background and it would flash up with, with the words written out. So there was like this flash. Uh, so that was one way that she would... Uh, communicate or she would send me a symbol or uh, something like that. So I didn't have the um, ability to uh, properly communicate with her at that time. That's something I learned many years later. But uh, this is but I could still feel her intentions, you know, and, and what she wanted to do. So then she moved above me and she started enveloping me in her light. So these uh, rays of light that came out of her like a star, they were almost like arms, and they started hugging me and enveloping me like this. And she actually completely merged with me. So she merged her being with me. And uh, we became one, and I received her, her energy. And this gave me this uh, extremely strong... But I had Kriyas, first of all, so... I started uh, convulsing on my bed and, you know, thrashing around a little bit, which is which is quite normal in the Kundalini process. And uh, it was just because the energy was trying to break through and uh, it was bumping against my skull. And then suddenly I felt uh, this huge relief as there was a break. So it felt like, like my skull broke and... Uh, there was this there was suddenly this opening at the top of my head and um uh so kundalini actually it rose up above my head like this and sort of peaked down and it rested its uh its uh, neck on my forehead and it looked up like this so a bit like uh the Egyptian pharaohs, you know, when you when you look at uh, like a sarcophagus or something, they they're usually depicted in that way, which I now realize what it actually means after after I've experienced it. And um, so after this this happened, um, this uh, liquid light uh, started drawing into my brain. So 
I could hear uh, like a rushing of, of water, basically. Um, and there was this extremely pleasant um, sensation, like, uh, I mean, I can't really compare it to anything, maybe to an orgasm or something, but uh, it's just like ecstasy and uh, joy and love and whatever you can you can imagine, like the best feeling ever. And so it started rushing into my brain. And uh, I got these flashes of uh, realization. So I started re- realizing things about myself and uh, the universe and uh, Shakti and God and uh, how things were. And, and, you know, I just started understanding things the way I never did before. And I got uh, clarity suddenly. And I started to see uh, how things were and... Uh, understanding my journey and uh, everything became much clearer and I was in this uh, ecstatic state for a while uh, just experiencing uh, ultimate bliss and uh, I believe this this state is actually called Nirvikalpa Samadhi uh, or maybe the, the one after that but you know you probably know this better than I do <laughs> and uh, so once I was completely flooded with this light, which I believe is actually Amrita or Soma, uh, that's that's probably what it is from from what others have, have described. And then I moved out of my body uh, through this opening here, because this was now open. I had I had no difficulty uh, slipping out of my body. And so I found myself in this uh, dimensionless void, maybe like space. But uh, so it was black, but uh, it wasn't actually empty. More like it was filled with uh, potential, maybe consciousness or potentiality or uh, something heavy. I can't really explain it, but uh, there was definitely some some sort of presence there uh, in this void. And then uh, I started expanding, and my entire being was was now uh, filled with light. So I was essentially like like a being of light as well. But then I started expanding, and uh, I experienced uh, universal consciousness. So. I became as big as the universe itself, and I could feel uh, everything that existed within this universe was within me. Um, so it felt like a part of my body, and uh, everything was just uh, this uh, bright white light. And uh, I was completely uh, everywhere, and I had uh, full knowledge of uh, everything that I wanted access to. So anytime I I wanted to understand something or um, just uh, have knowledge, basically, it just kept coming to me in these flashes. You know, so when you when you suddenly realize something mm-hmm. profound. This just kept coming all the time, and you know, uh, 
I was no longer in my in my physical body, so there was no limitation there. So I was able to uh, access knowledge at a essentially uh, infinite rate. So I felt like uh, there was no limitation whatsoever. It was also incredibly ecstatic and uh, joyful, and I felt uh, just infinite love. And uh, it was it was almost too much to bear. So the love and uh, and the bliss, it was so much that uh, that it sometimes even felt like this. It's it's impossible for anyone to to bear this. That is just too much too much happiness, too much joy. But uh, I was in this state for a while anyway. And then... Uh, Sorry, I don't can know I ask? Might... Sorry yeah. to interrupt. When you say a while, how long? Uh, well, I had no sensation of time. Okay, but this is still occurring yes. the same day in this same day, one yeah. seamless experience. Okay. Yeah, the whole experience took maybe a few hours. Wow, okay. So I think I think I might have been in the state maybe for an hour or something like that, but uh, there was definitely no uh, no limitation in terms of uh, space and time. So that was that was missing. So could have been you know one second or one year. It wouldn't have made a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't exist in this state in this place. There's no time. So it's a completely different uh, way of being. But I have to tell you that I saw some pretty good depictions in science fiction about uh, states similar to these, like in uh, Star Trek, for instance, uh, and also in the Stargate series. So it's not entirely um, unknown to the, to the general public. So I think many people who are uh, interested in science fiction, they, they might have seen... Uh, at least something uh, approximating this this kind of uh, uh, mystic mystical state or you know non-dual awareness is, is is what I would actually call it because um, of course when Shiva and Shakti meet each other, uh, which happens uh, in the Sahasrara above the head, um, they are like two sides of the same coin. Um, I, yes, I'm, I'm quite, uh, quite a fan of science even now and physics. Uh, so I like to compare it to matter and antimatter. So when matter and antimatter meet, I don't know whether, whether you're aware of the physics. No. But, um, yeah, well, basically, it's it's uh, quite simple. So uh, when matter and antimatter meet, uh, they extinguish each other. So matter actually ceases to exist, and light is uh, released, so photonic energy. And uh, all the matter, the material world, is destroyed. And there's no longer any matter or antimatter, there's just light. So that's, uh, of course, it's not the same thing, but it's uh, it's a similar thing. So I think Shiva, Shiva and Shakti, when they meet, uh, they annihilate matter. 
that is why I think Shiva uh, is uh, associated with uh, being the, the god of destruction. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when this happens, matter no longer exists. There is only energy. There is only light. Right. You use the word extinguish. And that's mm-hmm. the same word that I've heard the word nirvana translates to as well, to extinguish. Not necessarily yes. to create something new, but it's an extinguishing. So there's some parallels across the board from, from physics to Hinduism, Buddhism. It's a great extinguishing. Very interesting. So Yes, because there is, uh, there is no matter after that. So uh, the physical realm, uh, which is uh, illusory, it goes away completely. Mm-hmm. So there is only a realm of energy, of, of light, basically, I would say. Right. Okay. So following this experience, how do you come back? How do you, how, how do you return back into the body? How, how do you find yourself now, the next day, the next year, following this very profound transformative experience? How does that look like for you? Did things get very difficult? Were they easy? Was it difficult to find yourself back in the world? Do you feel like telling people about this? Just, just, you know, pick and choose whatever sort of, I know I threw out a bunch of themes there, but you know, whatever comes to you, let us know. How does this look like after the fact? Mm, yes, it's a death and rebirth. Mm. Um, so it's a similar experience to what some people have in an NDE. When they have a very profound NDE where they see the light and blah, blah, blah. And then they come back and then they're a different person. So this was a bit like that. I felt like I died. I went into Mahasamadhi. But instead of staying in Mahasamadhi, I came back. Um, and I don't know whether that was my decision or, you know, um, it doesn't really make a difference in this state. Because you are that, right? So you are, you are Brahman, you are, you are the divine consciousness of the, of, of the universe. So there's no difference between what you think and what the divine consciousness, the source of the, of the universe thinks. So your thoughts, well, there isn't even thought in this state. And that's uh, not even accurate because uh, it's more like uh, pure consciousness without mind and without thought. It's more like there is intention and there is knowing. And these operate in a certain way, but uh, if there is uh, a decision to act, then it just happens instantaneously. There is no brain process that goes along with it, you know? It's just like, just a flash, just a snap, and it happens, you know? So it was decided by us, whatever you want to call it, by the collective consciousness of the universe that I have to return. And then I started shrinking. I got smaller and smaller, and it was like an accelerating process. And then I just uh, sort of spiraled back into my into my body, and I found myself within my body again. 
and it was very sore for a while. And uh, I felt very strange, like, uh, like I was an infant. So I definitely felt like, like I was reborn. So my previous life might as well have been a previous life, you know, like from maybe the 19th century or whatever. It felt like I was completely removed from my previous life. And uh, this was challenging because all my um, attachments, they were removed, including to people. So um, I had no uh, attachments whatsoever to anything. No expectations, no desires. I was like a completely blank sheet. So I think that's why uh, Brahmins are usually called twice born, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, normally you are supposed to go through this uh, this process, um, and it's quite uh, quite common in most most religions actually. But the thing is, then, then it takes a while to learn to live in this body again and to to rebuild your uh, relationships and some of them are not going to make it you know um so for instance i i felt like i couldn't work in my job anymore uh i managed to do it for maybe six more months and then i just had to quit it's uh it just wasn't for me and uh i felt the same way about uh, living in london so i was very sensitive and i couldn't uh bear crowds and I had to, like every time I went somewhere, I, I usually went to a park or, you know, like uh, Hampstead Heath or Richmond uh, Park or Greenwich Park or something like that. So I just tried to stay stay out of the city altogether. And um, then it became obvious that I cannot stay in London because my uh, nervous system is too sensitive now. And I could feel people, I could actually read them. So when I uh, when I walked walked in a crowd in like central London, I felt like I connected to every single person that walked past me. So it was like it was literally like a rope. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's called a guna, you know? Um it's like it's like Spider-Man, you know, when he when he throws his rope and, and connects to every person. And I felt like every person that walked past that walked past me, I was connecting to them. And uh, then if there were there were too many, I just I just uh, couldn't take it. So uh, I I had to stay away from crowds, you know. So that's why I actually ended up moving back to Hungary to a much smaller place where there are no crowds like that. And uh, um, so that was a big change. And uh, also my. Uh, relationship with my with my friends changed so with some uh i i rebuilt the relationship on a on a new basis with others it was just not possible to continue the friendship anymore because uh, i became a different person you know i wasn't the same person anymore so um all these all these relationships had to change and it was the same with my family. When I got home, I had to rebuild everything, you know. So the ties that bind, they are completely gone during this experience. So you have to start anew. 
that's uh, that's the important part. So for those listening who maybe are aspiring to attain experiences and the degree of development that you have, and they hear things like all of your relationships and ties will fall away, and they think, you know, I don't want that. Do you have any words of encouragement? Or maybe you don't. Maybe this is just the reality that you're speaking about. This is just what happens. What can you say to those who feel like running the other direction when they hear things like this? Well, it's a temporary thing. Um, so you don't have to stay in that mode. But there is a period of you know, maybe a few months when it's going to be challenging. So you have to you have to uh, consciously work on rebuilding your relationships and you have to accept that not not all of them are going to make it can you speak a little bit about rebuilding them are they rebuilt with more wisdom more consciousness more love is that is the new state of consciousness and the realizations that you've had are they informing the way that you rebuild these relationships the way that you interact with others Yes, you come you come at it from a different uh, point of view, different state of mind. So you are no longer an individual mind. Once you experience this, um, which I guess you could you could call nirvikalpa samadhi, maybe that's the best that's the best term I've actually found. But maybe there's a better one than that. Um, when you return to this world and you start to interact with people again um, you maintain a connection to the divine so you are uh, through the sahasrara or more precisely there is a bindu on top of the brahmarendra i think that's how it's, it's it's usually described you maintain a link so um, you are not a separate consciousness anymore. There's always a link to the collective consciousness of the universe, to God, if you want to call it that. And uh, so when you look at people, when you meet them, when you talk to them, um, you don't just see them as yours anymore. Because that's how most people actually relate to each other and this comes from childhood right so when you this is how you relate to your mother and your parents and whatever you are mine you know even even when you experience romantic love you have this feeling of uh, um that you want to own somebody completely that you that you want an exclusive relationship but this point of view no longer exists once you uh, go into this higher state of mind. Um, so you you want to um, relate to people from a collective perspective, uh, from a from a universal consciousness perspective. So um, you start seeing everybody as. Uh, part of the same uh, great soup of consciousness, you could say, ocean of consciousness. Um, so you know that uh, other people 
are extensions of herself. So from here, at the top of the head, you connect to uh, everything there is. And, and I would actually call that Brahman, you know, some, some might disagree, but I think that's actually what Brahman is. And through this collective, um, you are connected to everyone else. So actually a star is a pretty good uh, uh, symbol of that because uh, there is the center and from the center, people are actually connected through their uh, through their Sahasrara to this collective. So they emanate out of it. So you are essentially like a ray of light that comes out of a star. Mm -hmm. And so and so if you go back, if you go inside through the heart and then move out through the uh, Sahasrara, then you connect back to the source of everything. So that's uh, that's key, I think. And so when you relate to other people, then you see them as uh, uh, being part of the same uh, consciousness, essentially. Right. So you relate in a in a more evolved way. Your relationships take on a new depth. It's not yes. that uh, you know you come back and you've got nothing and you've got to rebuild everything and it's all the same or maybe worse. No, it's better, right? I just wanted to to get you to talk a little bit about that because this, this process, even some of the experiences you're describing, I think they're incredible. Part of me feels jealous. You know, I wish I would have had some really fantastic far out experiences like that. But some people hear these things and they're horrified. They're like, hell no, I want nothing to do with any of that. I don't want a goddess of light to embrace me. I want none of that. But, you know, there's there's a lot of practical benefits that come from these transformations that have to do with our relationships, with ourselves, with other people, with the world. There's a great benefit that comes. Is there any other significant points now? So you've had this sig very, very significant transformation occur over a period of two hours over the next decade or so, how things looked with the integration process for you? Were there particular practices that you found you had to engage in, like meditation, or were you far beyond the need to meditate at this point? How about your relationship with your body? Were you moving? Um, can you speak a little bit about the 10 years that followed? Yes. Um... Well, it was definitely challenging. So uh, it's usually said that once you have a full Kundalini awakening, uh, it might take, um, let's say, five to seven years to integrate the experience. And um, it's definitely not an easy process, I have to say. So um, the first thing I, I probably had to learn is to is to accept my uh, place in the world, to see where I fit in, um, what these uh, divine beings are, how I actually 
relate to them, how we are all essentially one consciousness. And so I had to move through a very long uh, learning process that I'm, I'm still going through. You know, it's not it's not even close to done, but uh, I find that it's actually accelerating. So it was quite slow initially, and uh, maybe my brain was a bit foggy. I couldn't really process information that well initially. But I find that uh, I'm understanding more and more as the as the years go along. And uh, handling this this energy had to be learned. So I had to I had to learn how to how to work with it. I have to I had to learn how to how to communicate with divine beings, uh, especially the goddess. She kept uh, visiting me uh, quite often. There was a period when when she would come daily. And uh, I learned to uh, communicate with her, uh, you know, quite effectively. Uh, once, once I heard about channeling, uh, I don't know if you are aware of the Law of One series. Uh, generally familiar. Is, yeah, can, yeah. Can I interrupt so, just for a second yeah. for, for our listeners? Can you give us a brief, you know, crash course in communication with Shakti, with the goddess? Uh, for those out there that are feeling like having this type of relationship, but don't know how to really tap into it. W what were the things that you learned? What can you share with those, those people out there? Um, well, it's best to imagine yourself as a radio station in, in this instance. So your body is essentially a radio station. And I'm talking about the uh, energy body here, so the chakras and kundalini. And um, so if you want to communicate with the divine, the way to do it is through kundalini. It's like a tuning fork. So you have to raise it to the top. And I like the uh, depiction of the double serpent around the rod which is uh, from Greek mythology and maybe Egyptian mythology, the uh, Caduceus, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's probably the closest to, to what it actually feels like, I think, when, when Kundalini is fully active and it's uh, uh, up, uh, rising above the top of the head and you have these wings, you know, it's like, it's a bit like that. Of course, it's not exact, but uh, it feels a bit like that. And so Kundalini is this tuning fork that you have to tune to the right frequency. And of course, you do that through meditation. But um, you can have uh, different tools to, to help you out. So mantras are obviously one. So if you want to concentrate on a, on a particular aspect of the, of the divine, then you raise your, your Kundalini, you chant a mantra, or your prayer, or you know whatever. It could be a statue of a of a deity or a painting. It could be a symbol. So you find something that you can latch onto, you know, to find the right frequency. And uh, this is, of course, how I how I found the goddess originally. It was through these uh, artifacts because uh, they emanated this energy, this frequency that my uh, subconscious. Uh, 
latched onto, you know. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's a two-way process because they also know. They know that you are reaching out to them, uh, divine beings, you know. And uh, so they they also make an effort to uh, meet you halfway. And usually what happens if you find the right frequency, so you have to learn a little bit to, to modulate your... Uh, your frequency of uh, energy because you can you can raise it through meditation and pranayama mm -hmm. so i actually practice spontaneous pranayama so i don't do the breathing to breathing does me it's uh <laughs> it's regulated by shakti so there right. are different uh, uh, breathing modalities that happen and there's all sort of uh, energetic stuff going on in the in the body and I just leave it to, to Shakti to do the necessary tuning and work and clearing and then when you reach the right frequency you will usually hear a sound uh, like a, like a static like a static sound or a whistling sound which is also present when you when you when you tune a radio so you know there's this uh, Mm -hmm. There is the static, and then sh suddenly there is like a whistle. Then you find the right station, and then and then you're under on the right frequency, and then suddenly you have you have communication, you have a connection. So you have to tune yourself uh, to whatever version of the of the divine you want to communicate with. And then when you do, uh, like I said, there is the sound. You might feel energy descending, usually on the face. It's like there's this energy coming down, maybe touching your head or your face or something like that. And then, and then, uh, if you learn to empty your mind, so this so this also has to be learned. It takes takes quite a long time. So you have to empty your mind when you are in this state, and then um, you will get uh, thoughts and images and emotion emotions and visions and things like that so information starts coming into your mind okay and then you have to learn to translate it so this is something that your conscious brain has to learn it's like it's like learning a language basically so you have to so your conscious mind receives images and uh, maybe words and uh, visions and just thought basically like it's a stream of thought and then if you train your mind you can learn to write it down or to say it out loud you know i never actually tried that but i usually just just write down what comes or i just have a conversation you know so i was able to have conversations with uh with divine beings this way and it's not a perfect process because you are just translating so you are the one who actually creates language right because these these beings they they don't have language you know they are they are beyond language they are beyond the mind so yeah so that's the way it works so i have a, a similar process to you where i can enter into a state a certain frequency you could say a state of consciousness 
which I become receptive and receive information through downloads, through what some might call gnosis, in the same way that you're describing. And then, like you said, I have to use my body, my senses to translate it into words or whatever it is. You spoke about the idea of hearing sounds like the static. You spoke about feeling a sensation on the face. I don't experience those things. Would you say that those are maybe sort of experiences that are specific to your experience of this? Or do you think that they're more universal? So for somebody else listening out there, should they be seeking out exactly what you've described? Or should they be more open and receptive to their own unique way in which the divine communicates with them and in which they communicate with the divine? Well, I've heard others describe it in a similar way. Uh, so I think it's quite uh, quite quite universal actually but it depends on uh, who you are co- actually um, communicating with like what kind of frequency what kind of energy they are using so um, because there are even uh, you know I mean you obviously know this from from Hinduism and Buddhism there are many different beings that we cannot see that they exist in uh, realms that are quite close to us but uh, we can't truly uh, interact with them because we are on the wrong frequency and uh, you know there are beings on uh, lower levels which is called the lower astral that are that are closer to us that that would be a more physical experience and obviously, as you move up towards the highest divine beings, uh, that's not physical at all. It's uh, it's a completely spiritual experience. So, I think I think it just depends on what kind of uh, beings you are dealing with. Right. Okay. So, at this point, you've become astute in channeling and communicating with the divine. Following that very, very mystical experience, were there periods of incredible emotional difficulty of things arising, or was that all sort of complete? Was the clearing more or less done by that point? Or did you enter into a phase where there was a sort of purging purification on the emotional level? Uh, No, there was definitely a purging going on even after this. Okay. And it's uh, and it's ongoing as well because uh, I mean not all of my karma was uh, burnt up, so maybe most of it was at least what needed to be burnt up to at least uh, reach this uh, higher state of samadhi. But um, yeah, there's it's an it's an ongoing thing. So when I when I meditate during the day or you know, whatever time I I get to do it, I do uh, Shakti meditation, which is just me um, letting Shakti uh, wash over me and uh, work on me, basically. So uh, clearing my karma, uh, removing blocks that form during the day, um, just... Uh, letting the energy dance and uh, flow over me and, you know, clear my system. 
And I think as long as you uh, inhabit a physical body, there are going to be impurities that need to be cleared. So uh, it has to be an ongoing process. So do you have any advice for those who have, say, had a significant energetic awakening, and now they're going through a very intense and difficult emotional purification process? Things are coming up from their childhood, maybe past lives, inexplicable panic attacks, crying, nightmares. Do you have any advice for those during these very you know, challenging parts of the journey? Yes, there are uh, methods you can employ to um, to deal with that. Um, I think the key is letting go. So um, you have to develop um, a mindset of uh, equanimity, perhaps, of just uh, not... Uh, not caring about the outcome, um, just uh, letting things flow on their own, letting them be as they should be, just uh, releasing yourself from this uh, obligation, this pressure to achieve anything, to be anything, so you have to be free. You have to free yourself from your own mind, basically. Because what you do within your mind is that you uh, are essentially strangling yourself. So you put these obstacles in your way. You are stopping your own awakening. Uh, you are causing yourself grief. So you are the one who's actually doing it. So there isn't an awful lot you actually have to do. That's the that's the funny thing about it. It's not about doing, it's about releasing and uh, letting go. And so if you, if you don't sabotage yourself, then you're going to be fine. It's just that you are, you are, Messing with your with your own uh, with your own body, your own mind, you are causing problems for yourself. And I think actually this is my firm conviction, and it doesn't come from any scripture. But I think any person could become awakened or enlightened or whatever you want to call it if they simply gave themselves uh, the permission. To, uh, for this to happen, so if they if they let go, if they remove the obstacles from their mind, and which is also the the body basically, because because the mind and the body are the same, they exist uh, together. So if you if you manage to um, remove obstacles from your own body mind complex, then things will just happen naturally. You know, everything. All the obstacles will dissolve. Right. And um, you have no difficulty managing the process. Uh, the amount of difficulty that you have to deal with, it's uh, it's entirely up to your own mind. It's your own doing. 
So you have to have to learn to be conscious. And I think consciousness is, is very important here because uh, most people don't actually understand what it means. But in terms of the body-mind, what being conscious means is simply paying attention to what's going on in your body-mind. So when you meditate, for instance, uh, you notice different uh, sensations, you know, um, engrams from past lives, from this life. Uh, they come up into your mind's eye. You see them. You have emotions coming up. Uh, you have different memories. So all of these, um, if you if you learn to deal with them, if you let them go, then they will simply disappear, you know? They will dissipate in time. So if you learn to um, remove yourself from, from your own uh, energetic construct, to clear your own uh, fears and insecurities and uh, hatreds and uh, um, just inhibitions and uh, you know whatever you can you can think of whatever is holding you back uh, you have the power to remove all of that from your own energetic makeup and it's uh, it's just a question of consciousness. So if you are conscious of it, you are in control already. So being conscious of something within your body-mind is the same thing as being in control. And it's just because we go through life uh, not, not being conscious of our own uh, mental process, which is also energetic. So a typical thing uh, th that I notice is that people are skeptical of the chakras, for instance. They say, okay, that's just uh, BS, it doesn't exist, and so on. But okay, okay, so where do you feel love? You know, tell me, where is love? It's here. And of course, everybody points here. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have a heartbreak, which happens even to animals, you know, you die. So obviously, there is something going on here, which is not physical. And you you feel something is there, but you are not aware of it. You are not conscious. So it happens sort of subconsciously, but your mind just wanders and you and you haven't learned how to how to process this information. But this happens to every single chakra, you know, like uh, even the minor chakras, like uh, you get cold feet. What's that? Well, it's a chakra as well, you know. Or you have a lump in your throat. That's one of your other chakras, you know. And, and and these are all present. You can feel it. It's coded into our into a language. So once you learn to be conscious of that, that there are these processes taking part or taking place in your in your body mind, uh, then you can learn to control the whole thing, and you can. You can become a complete person, one that is conscious and aware, and that's 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 really what the whole thing is about. Right. Thank you for that insight, that wisdom. 
a lot of people battle with their own evolution, right? Kundalini awakens within them. It puts an effort to purify, to cleanse. And there's a great battle. We don't want to have these emotions. They think something is going wrong. Sometimes we use our spirituality against ourselves. When the energy is trying to burn up karma, often negative emotions arise, negative experiences, negative thoughts. And people may say, oh, I'm not being a good yogi. I'm I'm angry. I'm not, you know, I'm sad. And so I'm not being a good sp spiritual, you know, traveler of the path. But like you're saying here, just bring consciousness to the experience, right? And what can you yeah, say and, about... Uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. And go it's ahead. just... And it's just important to point out that there's nothing wrong with being angry, fearful, or anything like that. It's just that you should have this point of view where you are conscious of it happening. And you see it from outside, from a higher point of view. And then it's okay. Right. So that's that's what self-control is about, and that's what yoga is about, basically. It's about learning to uh, to see yourself from this from this higher vantage point, and to be able to detach yourself from from your emotions. To um, of course, emotions they will arise naturally. So you know, if you hit your your hand with a hammer, you are going to be very angry, and you will definitely swear. You know, but it doesn't mean that you are you are not spiritual or. You are not on the right path or anything like that. It's just it's just that you have to learn to to see yourself from outside, to have this uh, higher vantage point, basically. So that's what I mean by that. Right, right. Sometimes people will ask me if there's things that they shouldn't do. Is it okay if I get upset? Is it okay if I drink alcohol? I just say, there's no right or wrong. There's nothing you should or shouldn't do. It's just, are you conscious while it's happening? That's the only distinction. Yes. And if you bring consciousness to the experience, well, if you're not supposed to drink alcohol with consciousness, you'll likely not be inclined to. If you bring consciousness to a difficult emotion, you're allowed to pass through your system and be released, burned up more easily. So I like what you're sharing there. So... In conjunction with this idea of being conscious of the experience, can you tie it in a little bit with surrender to the purification process, which the Shakti is carrying out within our system? What does that look like to surrender to our own evolution? What, what can you comment about that? For those who are in a state of lack of trust, I don't know if this is going to be good for me. I'm scared. I don't know what this is all about. How can you encourage them to surrender and trust that it's all for their higher evolution? There is a particular technique that they can use. Um, it's quite simple. Um, so if you experience uh, a block or a hang-up that you can't get rid of or you can't let go of, um, it's usually located somewhere in your energetic body somewhere along the spine. Um, could be the heart, could be the gut, could be the throat, whatever. It could be even in your feet. Um, so once you are consciously aware of where it is located, 
And this happens during the Kundalini process because um, the energy will usually go up the spine. And uh, as it touches different uh, centers, uh, it lights up these uh, engrams, as I call them, like uh, memories of the past, which could be of this life or a past life. Um, then they surface. You might, you might, you might remember a particular feeling or uh, trauma or uh, an emotion that's. Uh, associated with it you might even get images in your head like uh, you remember something particularly embarrassing for instance or uh, something that caused you great distress or fear and then when when you when you are in this mode then what you do is that um, you regulate letting go through your breathing so you have to learn to move your prana around a little bit because, of course, uh, breath is prana. And so when you breathe in, you sort of hold on to this uh, energetic block, this engram. And then as you hold on, you sort of grab it with your prana, with your breath. And then you hold on to it for a while, you keep your breath in, and then when you breathe out, you sort of have to bring your prana down into your uh, gut, essentially, and down towards uh, the base of the spine. And you have to breathe down. I don't know whether that makes sense, but... uh, if you are used to pranayama, then then I think I think it will make sense. So you push, you push it down, and as you breathe out, it will start uh, clearing. So it will actually go through your nadis as a form of energy, and it will start flowing into the earth. So it's actually Mother Earth that absorbs this. Uh, this energy, which, which which could be negative. I mean, it's only negative from your point of view, but uh, ultimately it's just energy. So what you are doing is that you are pushing down stagnant energy that has been there for a long time. And you want to release it back into the universe through Mother Earth. So it's uh, Shakti that's actually clearing it out for you. So you release the engram, the memory, into Shakti's care, and you give it back to Mother Earth when you breathe out. And then, when you breathe out, you stay like that, and you don't breathe in again, you just you stay like that in a natural state, basically keeping your prana, your breath down with Mother Earth. And as you do this, it's like it's like roots that go down into the earth, energetic roots. And this thing that you want to 
let go of, it's going to slowly dissipate down into the earth. And of course, it's best done in a nature setting, you know. So if you are next to a lake or you are you are on the grass or, you know, among trees or whatever, that definitely helps. And so you stay like that for a while until it's uh, um, comfy, basically, so you don't have to force anything. Just uh, just a little shakti to regulate your breathing. So when you are in this outbreath state, after a while, because shakti is your is your body's intelligence as well, it will want to uh, start breathing again. So the autonomous nervous system, which is actually regulated by shakti will want to take over at this point. So then what you do is that you just wait for that for that moment, you know, you release control and then she will breathe in for you. And you will slowly breathe in and then the whole process can start again because now you actually released control to Shakti. You are just observing what she's doing with your body and then she will actually uh, she will actually control your breathing and with each breath she will remove more of this of this energy that you want to dissipate you want to let go of so that's the technique that that i actually use wonderful thank you so much for sharing that well christian you just given us some great practical tools and skills that we can explore as we go through our journey with kundalini with our purification process we've covered a lot of ground today you know i feel like we've been all around the world throughout history in a sense you know we were we were in egypt we were in london they're coming to us from hungary we were in mesopotamia india yeah. oh the uh this is a strong theme that in this series that i really want to hammer on is that this is a universal process it's human process it's documented all around the world in different ways different symbolism different cultures different traditions but ultimately it boils down to the divine masculine the, the divine feminine and your story really captures that uh and, and i want to thank you for for being such a great example of somebody who's gone through this journey who's, who's humble and yet so articulate so expressive, so much wisdom there. Thank you so much. I know that a lot of people are going to listen to your story and they're going to be able to relate. They're going to feel validated. And I'm sure they might have some more questions for you. So in the description of the, the podcast, the video, you're going to be able to find how you can reach Christian. I'll put your email there. Christian's also got a YouTube channel himself. He's got some great talks up there where he's speaking a little bit more about Kundalini, sharing your perspective of course as we can see it's it's very developed it's a lot that we can continue to talk about maybe we'll have you on again another time but uh for now i just want to thank you so much christian thank you thank you thank you and for those listening out there please go ahead check out christian's work on youtube get in touch with them if you feel called uh is there anything you'd like to share about people getting in touch with you are, are you open to to them sharing their stories with you? Are you open to maybe at, at times offering a little bit of advice? 
you know, what can people reach out and expect uh, to hear back from you with? Yes, I definitely am. So feel free to to contact me on my email or on my YouTube. I am also quite active on uh, Reddit. There is a Kundalini subreddit, and uh, there's one for Advaita Vedanta, for instance. So you'll see me there uh, quite often, you know, giving advice and uh, trying to help people. So that's what I try to do. Uh, that's my calling and my mission, basically. Great. So feel free to reach out to me. Great. So I'll put your Reddit uh, profile there as well in the description, and people can connect with you on Reddit. Maybe they can see some of the responses that you share with other people as well that they can, of course, benefit from too. So thank you so much, Christian. Appreciate it. You've been uh, so generous with with everything you've shared today. And for those listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I think I speak for both of us when I say that we really appreciate your attention. And you can stay tuned for the next part of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. If you have some interesting guests like Christian that are quite advanced on the path, that are able to express themselves in a clear way, please send me an email, get me in touch with them. I'd love to have them on the show. My intention is to have people from all over come and talk about their journey to further validate each other. You know, Let us all know that we're not going crazy, to support each other, to share some of our unique experiences. And of course, to just enjoy relishing in these wonderful conversations about divinity, about the Divine Mother and the way that she supports us all. Thank you all so much. And until next time, much love and peace. Mm-hmm.